Welcome to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast, and I'm your host, Greg E. Hill, the Culture Change Agent. On this show, we interview young, successful minorities in a variety of fields to educate, empower, and inspire our current and future generation of leaders. And today, I got a show for you. So I'm going to read a snippet of a bio, and then we're going to jump right into it. So he's a 35-year-old black entrepreneur that has founded and run various businesses over the years with four acquisitions under his belt. And in 2015, he founded a virtual receptionist company, uh, which is a fancy answering service called Vicky Virtual. <laughs> Vicky Virtual, I love the Vicky name. <laughs> which, <laughs> which grew to seven figures and was acquired last year, which is 2019. He recently did an interview with Side Hustle Nation where he talked about the how-to of starting a remote call center and being able to work as little as 10 hours a week and make six to seven figures doing it. Man, he has a lot more under his belt. That's just a snippet of a bio. I'm excited to interview this brother. He's going to add a lot of valuable gems. And I'm calling it right now, Minority Troublers Nation. This is going to be another, I repeat, another season seven classic. So without further ado, I would like to introduce my brother, Donald Spann, to the Minority Trailblazer podcast. Welcome to the show. Hey, man, happy to be here. Appreciate it, man. Hey, let's jump right into it, man. So on this show, we always like to start the show off with a quote. And I want you to share with our audience a quote that you stand by and then a story about how you apply that quote to your everyday life. Man, that's a good one to start off <laughs> with, huh? Right on the spot. Um, you know, I guess a quote that I think about not that often because I'm not a huge quote person, but one that really stuck with me over the years is if you don't work actively on your dreams, you will build someone else's. And uh, I think that has been my unknown mantra. Um, you know, I, I really hate to say this, but I didn't become an entrepreneur just for the sake of entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. I only did it really as a vehicle to sort of realize what my actual ambitions were, what, which was simply not to work for someone else, right? Mm -hmm. um, I hated the corporate world so much that even when I had a six-figure job, there were times when I'm tearing myself up, going to sleep, because it just wasn't something for me. Mm -hmm. And so the very simple premise of having control of life and time and enough money to enjoy that, the best vehicle for that, obviously, you realize early on is through a business. And so that was the catalyst for me wanting to have a business. And that's why I've lived my life the way I have the last uh, really 15, 18 years. Man, that's 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 great. And on our podcast, we like to layer it where we start off personally, then we go to business, and then we go to future. Um, so let's jump right in, man. Let's let's talk about my uh 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 uh. Let's do it like this. Um, okay. I, I do. I have something before we even jump to the podcast. I like to stay relevant and current. So I have this thing called Find the Pulse. So what was the most memorable moment of last week, good or bad, and what did it teach you? Most memorable moment of last week. Well, uh, pretty memorable with that uh, Herman Cain uh, passed away. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was the culmination of a few things. One, he's one of the uh, most popular politicians to pass away from COVID-19, particularly in the U.S., a uh, high-profile figure, and he's in a sort of unique spot as being one of the high-profile actual politician minorities that are on the uh, Republican side. And I am not a fan of that side. I'm also not a fan of the fact that he didn't want to wear a mask. And so I think the debate has shifted, uh, you know, 
on both sides in terms of uh, one side mask wearing delegate having ammunition and the non-mask side having ammunition. And I think Herman Cain passing away, it's just a reminder that this thing is serious uh, and it's something that needs not to be trifled with. So, um, you know, I hope that this type of thing isn't taken in vain and that people can really uh, recognize the dangers we're facing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a... There was a lot with that, that whole situation, man. I saw some comments online that, I mean, because even if you don't identify with him or Republican nature, et cetera, but the man really still did stuff for the culture. He did stuff, I mean, just his, just his standing alone. And um, I think right now we're in a space of social media where people are just, I'm like, man, the comments I saw, I was like, yeah, he got what he deserved. I'm like, he got what he deserved? For real? That's where we going? I mean, I get it. I get it. I get it. He didn't wear a mask. He didn't follow the rules. And he should be, like you said, a testament of, hey, this is really serious for guys. Like, it, I mean, that doesn't mean, I wouldn't, it doesn't say everybody got to stay in their house and never leave their house, but at least the bare minimum wear the mask. But then I see that the culture pile up on them. Um, it was it, it not even I'm not just gonna put all the blame onus on our culture, but it was other people as well. I found that kind of disgusting to a certain extent, man. But hopefully we can find a place in society right now where specifically the people that are um high, high notoriety, that we can find some balance between just always just going at their necks, man. Like it's is is it gets into a weird space. It's like, well, I mean, what's what's the use? You're, I don't know. I, I'm going. I go left. I don't want to change the temperature of the podcast, man. But that's that's really real. So, um, let's do it like this because I always I've learned from the first six seasons, and I typically get to the climax at the end. But I want to share with the audience, man. I want to give a give you a moment to kind of brag on yourself. I know it may be awkward, but I want them to give a context of some of the things you accomplish in the business space. So as they're listening. Um, they don't wait to the end and be like, oh my God, like he did this X, Y, Z. Nah, you know now. So then it layers, it gives con- more credence to the context of your story and the journey we're about to go on. So this is your moment, man. Just share some of your, your most um, biggest accomplishments in business or in life in general um, and before we segue into your uh, your backstory. Yeah, so, you know, I would say my uh, best accomplishments, honestly, man, being able to sell a company for seven figures, multiple seven figures, uh, more than once, uh, in a somewhat early career, right? You know, I'm 35 years old, no kids yet. And being able to sort of set ourselves up for a life that I really dreamed of uh, as, as uh, recent as, say, 2014, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's great. Um, you know, when you think about these things in the context of living in the now, Sometimes it's sort of tough to realize it because a, a real entrepreneur, we're always looking for that next thing. We're always looking for that next accomplishment. Uh, but frankly, 2020 me is uh, the dream of 2014 me. So uh, a little bit of background, not to you know dive too into it. but No, go I ahead. Was, go uh, ahead. Matter of fact, do your segue. Just go ahead. Jump in, bro. Yeah, man. Um, so... In uh, 2012, uh, I was part of a a software as a service company. We were venture funded uh, by Y Combinator, which is by far the toughest incubator in Silicon Valley. Uh, It was a software for uh, landlords to have, like do-it-yourself landlords to have rental property, um, as well as for a broker that, you know, has some type of emphasis on rental property. And so, you know, we did that and we uh, built it to about 17,000 users and got acquired uh, by a big company I I won't name. Mm -hmm. Um, In the midst of that, 
I was able to start a cleaning company. I always wanted to do something with my dad. And uh, he was sort of a dreamer, but he didn't really have all the tools that I had, mm-hmm. right? Um, smart guy, ambitious. But so he never realized the dream of having a company. So uh, Companion Maids, our cleaning company, was something for us to start together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the type of modernized cleaning solution where we're not doing any of the work, right? We're hiring people. We built that to $500,000 a year. Wow. Uh, Hi, I mean, how'd you, uh, so you and your dad, that's, that's, that's huge right there. Let's stay right there for a second. So you and your dad, you, you're not even in that the cleaning business space. You are in the, the software services space. Seems like you're a highly technical guy. You said, Hey dad, let's start this business. And now you built a business to a, a, a half a million dollar business. Like let's, let's unpack that a little bit, man. Let's, let's not gloss over that. Like, what does that even look like? How do you build a cleaning business? to half a million because i know people that got cleaning business all the time it's uh you got a couple staff you got some contracts like walk us through that bro yeah so we were a residential cleaning company and, okay. and companion made still exist uh chicago-based uh company better than ever now uh but essentially what we did was we were one of the early ones that emphasized the ability to book online mm-hmm. Um, and so in Chicago, it's a big market. We did have a lot of challenges in terms of the logistic of getting cleaners on time and you know ready to go to certain appointments. One of the dynamics of Chicago is that it's a lot of traffic and parking is expensive, right? Yeah. Like in the building I'm in, the building I live in, I uh, think the first 20 minutes is like $30. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. so when you're charging like $150 total for cleaning, Mm-hmm. It's really difficult to factor those types of things in. Uh, so we, we dealt with some uh, real logistical challenges that others did not deal with. But in that regard, I think uh, at the time, the industry was a lot more archaic. And so I was able to come in, modernize with a pretty cool website, modernize with a you know good branding perspective. Um, and so we looked like we had our crap together. Yep. And so in that regard, uh, you know, we were able to stand out and then we just hustled, man. Um, you know, we uh, hustled different sort of local platforms. Mm-hmm. We built our reputation over time organically, uh, got as many reviews as we could. Then we focused and zeroed in, like really targeted our SEO. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hired a, a guy that I'm still friends with to this day, did a different project with him actually. Uh, and he got us to the first page for Chicago. If you type in Chicago cleaning company right now, you're going to see companion maids at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and so through that, we were able to, uh, you know, instead of outreaching for clients, have a larger and larger abundance of clients coming to us and just booking. And so at that point, it just became a matter again of making sure our logistics were good, uh, being a good operator. And by the time uh, the company was acquired in 2017, I didn't even have to involve myself with the business or with my dad thing. Uh, he got a, a larger piece of the pie, and now it's his pride and joy. He was able to do that, and it was just a fantastic thing to be able to provide. Yeah, man, that's uh, that's phenomenal, man. And quick question with your background, and, and stay where you're at as far as now. You, you transition from software services company, that's gets sold, then you build this business with your dad, your father, rather. Did you go to, did you, <clears throat> did you go to college? Yeah, man, I went to Wisconsin Madison. Okay, yeah, my uh, mom, my mom from Wisconsin, she's from Milwaukee, man, so I'm, I'm definitely familiar, man. Nice, man, nice. Yeah, so go Badgers, man. <laughs> I did drop out. So, okay. you know, I, I went there, 
Um, and at first I figured I'd go straight and graduate and, and go to the corporate world. But again, I realized early on that uh, it, my real goal was to work for myself. Mm-hmm. And after freshman year, uh, I took a job. I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Vector Marketing. So yeah, yeah. Heck, bro. Uh, bro. Yeah. Are we, uh, Podcast Nation, are you familiar with Cutco and Vector? Yes, everybody. When you're in high school, <laughs> all these Craigslist ads, get make $20 an hour in the summer, make $25, blah, blah, blah. And then you go there and you selling knobs. You're like, bro, so heck, y'all familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> so it's a big thing, man. I, you know, my first summer uh, after freshman year, there were 1,200 different sort of sales rep that came and went through my office and again in Chicago and I finished number one. Oh wow. So okay. yeah, so I hustled that and, and through that income I I gained from that, I realized that I was making like more than a lot of uh people are making as sort of an entry level position. Mm-hmm. And so I already had the sort of mindset that I probably wasn't going to work for someone for very long, or hopefully not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that solidified it. I did end up with the sales and sales marketing career for about seven, eight years. But by the time I was 27, I was full time for myself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. Wow. So take it. So, all right. 27, full time for yourself. You participated in kind of two Merging acquisition. So you're seeing you you have a little bit of money on you, but now what's the next wave? You're 27, all that experience, and now what's the next venture? Yeah, so um the the catalyst for my largest company to date, which was Vicky Virtual, um, was about a year into Companion Mage. We got we're already at about let's say $150,000 in annual run rate. Um and so we got to the point that we were sick of answering the phone for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I started to look into some options. And among the options, I wasn't that impressed. And I think of the few companies that did impress me, they didn't speak specifically to cleaning companies. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, the entrepreneurial mind, um, I started to think maybe I could reverse engineer one of these things, right? So I mm-hmm. caught up. Uh, one of my uh, buddies who also had a cleaning company, first guy was like, well, I'm too busy. Mm-hmm. Second guy uh, started right around me. He was in uh, Kansas City, 10-minute conversation that he was in. Mm-hmm. This was the end of October in 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, we set a launch date, which I believe was very ambitious for people that had zero experience in this industry, of January 1st, 2015. Okay. And on that date, we launched the company. Okay, so work us, walk us through what Vicky Virtual is, why you desi- decided to uh, call it Vicky Virtual, and um, just walk us through this process because this is uh, this 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 uh, component of the podcast is important because we're gonna talk through current day as far as how others can build remote call centers. But of course, and I tell everybody on the time when we talk about experts and what they do, I don't really we have we live in a society where people call themselves expert but haven't built anything, right? So it's really important for uh, us to kind of unpack this. So, A, why the name Vicky Virtual? And then, okay, break us down kind of what it is from the, on the root level and then kind of walk us through the journey about how you went from starting it to then selling it for uh, for seven figures plus. So the um, the premise, and I, you know, I'm putting some nuggets here. The, the naming, I don't spend too much time on naming. I think a lot of people spend uh, too much time on things that 
aren't actually that impactful for your business for the long run. Mm-hmm. The important things when it comes to running any business are your execution, right? Mm-hmm. Not your name. Now, the name can be something that uh, can maybe pique interest, but the fact is if your branding's not on point, if your messaging isn't like on brand, right, uh, then you're not going to get far. Mm-hmm. And so Vicky Virtual was simple. Uh, there were other companies in the space, such as Ruby Receptionist mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Gabbyville. Um, there was another one that I can't remember. Uh, back Office Betty. There were s- sort of alliterations in terms of uh, the same letter twice, and then also a, a woman's name at the first word, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I looked into I literally just brainstorm for like an hour, and the other component was making sure that that. Uh, potential name was available as a domain on GoDaddy or Namecheap or whatever. Yeah. So uh, once we stumbled on Vicky Virtual, you know, it, it rolled off the tongue. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it uh, does. Vicky Virtual. Yeah, it's really easy to say, man, which is important in the sense that people are going to remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want something that when someone is considering you or your competitor, they can recall and say, well, Vicky Virtual was one of the ones I was considering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because it rolls off the tongue, because it's easy to remember, and because the website is something that's easy to type in, you don't have to think about it too much, uh, it makes it that much more easier for one of your potential clients to come back to you as opposed to one of your competitors. Uh, but yeah, it took me about an hour and a half. And that was it. Didn't love it at the time, but I knew that it fit the sort of attributes I was looking for in the name. And that was it. Rolled with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. 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 So now let's talk through actual the construction of the business. Okay. Now, October, we're saying, hey, we're going to launch it. Aggressive start day in January. Let's let's work through. Let's let's backpack that. Unpack that a little bit real quick because there's people out yeah, there yeah. that they sit on ideas for years, right? They sit on ideas for years. It's all this stuff, and I'm like, man, what in the world? So, kind of unpack the aggressive start date as well as how you were able to track and get towards that. So, uh, there was a great story I heard on uh, something called WebinarCon uh, this past Sunday, actually. Mm-hmm. And it was a guy that uh, had run into Tony Robbins, uh, you know, great influential uh, public speaker and such. Um, and they ran up to him and sort of bum rushed him, like, hey, what's your best piece of advice? Mm-hmm. And Tony's like, you know what? Make fast decisions or make decisions fast. And so that's really what it comes down to, man. It's as simple as that. A lot of people do on things. A lot of people do before they make decisions, analysis before paralysis, right? The only thing that truly separates someone from getting things done and making money as opposed to people that aren't doing things are people that continue to act and continue to move. Mm -hmm. Because even if you're making mistakes, Mm -hmm. you're failing faster. Mm -hmm. When you fail faster, you're going to get closer to the win that much more quickly. Um, and frankly, when you do work, you feel productive anyway. So you're getting those dopamine hits of getting stuff done, right? And so um, you want to make decisions fast. When we were considering our phone system, my first thought was, oh, I'm going to build this system myself. Now, I was part of a software company, but I'm not, to this day, I'm not a programmer. Yeah. <laughs> at all, man. So, um 
So I was like, yeah, man, you know, I'm looking at this thing called Twilio. Uh, you can sort of just put in a couple lines of code and you can have your agent, you know, utilize that function and we're going to get it done, man. I didn't know anything. And so within like three weeks, I realized that wasn't possible. So I started looking for a uh, sort of call center phone software. Uh, the first one I went with did not work in the long run, but it got us going, right? So I didn't try to perfect it. I just looked for something that was going to work, and that was all we needed. Um, and uh, in terms of marketing, we just focused on content marketing from the start. We started putting out stuff about our company, about what we were going to do. We put out content with confidence. Right. We didn't know how we were going to service these clients until about the day we launched. Mm -hmm. But we just went forward. We kept moving forward, kept moving forward. And so we developed the confidence in our brand before we even launched. And so by the time we launched, we only had 44 people on our email list, which was fine. But on day one, we got seven clients mm -hmm. because we had that content. Uh, you know, we were providing some pre-launch email. We offered 10% off for life for people that were willing to go with us instead of our competitors, right? That was the incentive. Uh, and so uh, seven clients day one, by the end of the first week, we had 10. And then after that, it's like, yo, we got to get to about 20 clients in order to break even, right? And I didn't want to go in the hole too much. I was only in for $500. Um, and my partner didn't have any money at all. Hold on, hold on. Like, so you started this in I mean, you only put five hundred in, so this it was you didn't. This wasn't a ten fifty grand project or anything of that nature. This was, and and for context, this service is basically an on demand call center, right? So yeah, well, so can you is, break yeah break that down for us? Yeah, so what Vicky Virtual is, uh, it's like I said, like you said before, it's a fancy answering services, right? So what that means is small businesses. They need their calls answered. And oftentimes, either if they have a bit more money, they'll use an in-house receptionist mm -hmm. uh, just to answer the phone. Maybe they'll have other duty, but their primary emphasis is to answer the phone. Uh, and then there's also traditional answering services, which everybody knows about. They're not very high quality. You basically, those agents answer the phone, they'll take a message. Uh, at best, they might, you know, tramp for the call, but they don't provide any help in terms of like answering questions about the company, uh, you know, doing things like book an appointment. And so our virtual receptionist company, that's our category. That's what we did. Uh, we're willing to answer the phone. We're willing to answer questions about the company regarding, you know, on behalf of our client. Uh, we'll do an outgoing call if necessary, like an attorney would say, hey, you know, could you call the county courthouse and see if they got my back? We'll do an outgoing call on their behalf. Essentially, it feels like an in-house receptionist for a small business at a fraction of the cost. Mm. And so that premise is what enabled us to provide what small businesses really need at an average cost of like $300 a month instead of $3,000 a month. Got you. Got you. I love it. I love it. So now you got 20 clients or you, you're climbing, you're scaling to 20 clients. So well, take, yeah, yeah. go ahead. So, so the way it was, was we got to 10, uh, you know, through our pre-launch marketing and our initial email list, which is a fantastic conversion rate. Right. Um, but we needed to get to 20 ASAP and I didn't want to spend any money on ads yet. Uh, Cause again, we were still validating this a bit. So I got on the call, man. I got on the phone 
and started cold calling. The very first cold call I made on behalf of the company ended up being one of our largest clients. Uh, they did tens of thousand dollars in revenue for us. And that guy uh, developed a great you know, business relationship with him and his brother. And they ended up acquiring, they were the ones that actually acquired Companion Maze uh, a bit over two years later. So so question so, with that, like let's let's, brought, <clears throat> let's walk through that cold call. Like, did you have a marketing script? Did you just say, look on the phone? How intentional were you as far as prospecting who you were going to call? And what did that conversation look like as far as cold calling? So I'll give a quick tip about that. Uh, my approach to cold calling, I have a lot of experience with it, frankly, so that helped. Um, my approach to cold calling is a lot of people, especially when they have a new service and they're hungry for clients, uh, when they try to engage a potential customer, they will try to let them know all of their features. Hey, look at what a great service I'm offering. We do this, this, A, B, C, D, E, F, C, right? And the issue is that even if it is a cool service, your potential client might not need or care about all those features. And so the real approach, the optimal approach, is to engage the conversation to the mm -hmm. point where someone's just listening to you and then get out the minimum you need about your service. Hey, you know, we're a company that takes calls for small businesses. And then you go straight into asking questions. And those questions need to be open-ended, not yes or no questions, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, you asked them, my, you know, pretty much always question was, how are you currently handling your call answering needs? Are you answering the phone yourself or is someone, you know, taking the call for you currently? And then someone will answer the question. And you just ask a few follow-up questions like that, and the pain point will be revealed. And once the pain point is revealed, like, oh, yeah, sometimes I make a call because I'm out on a job or whatever. Uh, say it's like a painting company, they're in the middle of a painting job and the call comes in, they're not taking that call. Or if they do take the call, they're all disheveled and it's a terrible call, terrible interaction. Mm -hmm. So that's when we segue into what we offer or what we can offer for that client. And then we only lift the features that are specific to that pain point. So now you're having a conversation that is catered to mm -hmm. your prospect, right? And they're not hearing too much and they're certainly not hearing too little and then you simply engage them for the, the you know smallest next step of the process whether that's having a longer meeting with you was you can have a longer conversation with them that you know you really have their attention or you try to get them involved for a free trial uh you know some people did like no credit card required for a free trial, we always engaged the credit card, but assured them that we wouldn't charge them until trial was over. But the fact is, when a company was willing to try our service, well over 50% would convert after trial to become paid clients. And our satisfaction rate was crazy. Uh, even early on, we had a retention, uh, like a you know lifetime customer value or retention of at least 12 months. And mm -hmm. by the time I told the company, I have a client date with us for 22 months. So I knew it was a matter of, you know, making sure you're hitting the numbers, making sure you're making enough calls. One out of 80 calls would land me a client. 
And again, you just focus on catering your conversation to what that potential customer needs as opposed to just trying to get everything about your service out there. Mm, okay. Love that, man. Hey, y'all, I hope y'all taking notes. I'm sitting here. I'm looking down on my phone, taking notes. Cause I don't, I'm, I'm a guy I usually write on pen, but I can't find my pen. I don't want to lead the interview. So, um, yeah, this <laughs> is, this is really, this is really good for me. Good for me, man. So now, all right. So let's, let's, fa- let's fast track real quick. So now you got your first client. First 20. And now how the heck do you go from first 20 clients, you put in $500, you're not trying to go over the over 500. And now we're talking five years later and this, that company is sold for over a million. I mean, for, for uh, over a million dollars. Like what, like walk us through what the, how the heck that happened, bro? <laughs> Honestly, it's real simple, man. Um, and let me be completely clear here. We launched, uh, my, my, I was in the hole for $500 when we launched the company. The most I was in the hole though, the max was $2,800. So at one point I was in the hole for $2,800. That was around the end of the first month. Uh, and that was, the answer for that was simply because we had payroll. Now, one thing we did to uh, sort of offset as many costs as we could, we knew payroll uh, was gonna be our largest expense. So we asked the two agents that we hired to take their first sort of uh, paycheck at the end of the first month. So as opposed to, you know, that whole two-week thing, which we, you know, migrated to, uh, we asked them to take their, you know, a month worth of work paid at the end of the month, but at the end of the month. So that gave us time to hustle up as much revenue as we could. Um, And so we were in the hole for $2,800. Now, at that time, though, by the time, you know, I was in for that amount, we had like 15 clients, we had revenue, we had a validated concept, we knew that we were able to service our clients. So at that point, it wasn't a risk anymore. Mm-hmm. The $500 in a, sense, in a sense was pure risk almost, uh, but the $2,800 was basically risk-free capital that I'm throwing towards something that's actually working, right? So from that, uh, we, you know, again, we hustled and we did our thing. We didn't spend any money on paid ads first year. Our content marketing paid off uh, starting in like month seven. Mm-hmm. And in that month, we got 17 organic signups alone. Okay. Uh, and so from that, our organic really started to take off. And I and love we- it. And I love it there. And keep your thought. I love it because a lot of people, when they say um, they think they need a thousand signups, they need this. And I think I'm loving, loving you here specifically like, oh, nine here. 17 here you're optimizing that and real quick not to throw you off your thing but can you speak to a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs first time they're, they're looking at huge numbers they want reoccur- like so speak to the specificity of serving like uh serving where you're at yeah i mean the fact is you know the sexy stories are going to be the one that people pay attention to but the majority of successful entrepreneurs do not have stories like that uh even my story the headline is Oh, guy starts it for a few hundred dollars and sells it for, you know, seven figures. That is not the thing that matters. The thing that matters is that every single one of our clients paid us $300 a month. We retain them for up to 22 months, which that is over $6,000 a client, right? Yeah. It takes two years to get it, but it's over $6,000 a client. Now, the other sexy thing about a virtual receptionist company is that investors love it. 
every single one of your clients are recurrent. So a lot of companies, a lot of hustlers are out there, they're doing these e-commerce joints, or they're doing like affiliate marketing, yeah, right? Uh-huh. The problem with that is that like you'll find a product and you might kill it on that product for whatever amount of time, two, three months, six months, if you're lucky. But even a company like Nike, if they had the same roster of clients for the next two years, two years from now, Nike will be out of business. Mm-hmm. So Nike had to constantly innovate and come up with new stuff and like always like innovate. Whereas with the virtual receptionist company, you don't need or even really want to innovate. It's more like the restaurant philosophy, right? Yeah. Think about your favorite pizza company, your favorite pizza joint. If they change the color of the box, there's uproar. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like, oh yeah. shit, the, the, the pizza tastes different. <laughs> <laughs> so don't be around. You know what I'm saying? They'll be around for like 130 years and they'll pride themselves on doing the exact same damn thing for 130 years. Mm -hmm. And people love that. So that is great. It's a great thing to do that, especially if you nail the the winning formula. Mm -hmm. But it's also a lot easier for you as an operator to be able to do the exact same thing over and over and over again and have your clients be ecstatic about it. Mm -hmm. So, um, those are the types of opportunities in the company that I gravitated to. Um, and that's why I ended up being so successful. One customer at a time, $300. And again, I'll circle back. Investors love it because it's recurring revenue. When they come in, they don't have to do all kinds of crazy things to keep things going. And the multiples on the valuation that you get, uh, one of the largest sales I heard of uh, when I was first starting acting in 2015, Ruby Receptionist. Um, they were doing about $11 million and they sold a piece, not all of it. They sold a piece of their company for $40 million. So wow. they were essentially, I'm pretty sure the valuation they got was like six times revenue. And so the reason they got that type of multiple, again, the revenue stream is bulletproof. A product company will literally never get that. But these software companies, these tech companies, they're getting these valuations because they're building a platform and they have dedicated subscribers that are that need that thing and they're paying for it month in, month out, even if there's, you know, not some freaking tweak or new product that happened. Like that SoundCloud, SoundCloud hosting this podcast. Since 2014, I've been giving them every year, every month this money and I need them. I, no, no matter what happens, for in order for my stuff to stay on iTunes. I have to pay SoundCloud every month, and there's no way around. I mean, there's ways around it, but I don't. I don't have the bandwidth to find that. So the software, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. And so that's what you're doing. That's how you build a company that has actual value, right? It's the type of company that can stick around for 20, 30 years, as opposed to the fly-by-night stuff that's sexy. You're going crazy, and then all of a sudden, Amazon takes your product and starts selling it for themselves, and you just <laughs> bought yourself a house, and you're in real trouble. Yep, 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 yep. Because I mean, you're making 150, 250. Because I know some some affiliate markets they making mid mill money, but then the roof falls off, and the next year is zero, and you have all these liabilities, and it's like, dang, you ain't pay for that cash, bro. Like, why'd you? Why'd you? <laughs> but um, now walk us through how did you make the shift from okay, we have this, we got clients coming in, 
to where the freak did a, a whole a mil a multi million dollar offer deal? You signed away the company. Like, how did that transition go? Um, because our our audience is always interested in hearing these stories, and people say, "Oh, you know, you know the taglines. You research. Oh, you know, right when you go on YouTube, or you want to build a seven figure biggest marketing blah, blah blah." I'm like, "Bruh, I'm tired. Like, what what is the context? Give me. I don't I don't need to know everything." But but give me some context because I don't believe that, sh that stuff. <laughs> like, I don't, bro. Yeah, yeah. Like, you're a con man. So, like, walk us through what it really looks like. Yeah, so what it really looks like, man, is uh, it's one customer at a time. Yeah. Right? Again, we utilize uh, everything we could to build our business organically. Mm -hmm. And I think that because we didn't want, or in some cases, couldn't afford to spend the money we needed to to do pay that in that first year, uh, my partner was actually taking a salary. Mm -hmm. So I actually started making sure that he could take a salary in the first six months mm -hmm. just so that he could work full time on the business because he had a part time job. Plus, he was doing the cleanings in his cleaning business. Mm -hmm. So in order to you know be able to utilize that manpower, uh, we're paying him like you know $2,000 a month just so he could be around. Mm -hmm. But the point is, we did what we could to build a strong foundation. Uh, we put in systems that scale. Mm -hmm. That meant you know, when we set up anything structural in our organization, we built it to sustain the theoretical 1,000 clients as opposed to, you know, the 20 clients or 30 clients that we were at at the time we created that. And so we did those things. There was a lot more work up front, but it enabled us to be absolutely uh, ironclad when it came to times when we started getting unexpected clients, uh, an unexpected surge in revenue. And that's actually what did happen in month seven. When we got to 17 clients, we had roughly 35 clients at the time and two agents. So we had to scramble to hire two more agents because now the total call volume is outside of our bandwidth. But we wouldn't, and it was tough, but we would not have been able to do it if our systems weren't intact, right? Um, and so in doing that, we uh, sort of... Uh, Again, we built organically. We had a strong SEO foundation. And so once the organic started coming in, we had to focus less on, oh, man, how are we going to get clients? And more on just solidifying our company and working on retaining clients. Mm -hmm. Now, client retention, uh, the average client that you have is seven times more expensive and difficult to get a new client as it is to simply keep your current ones happy. Yep. And so just about all the time, the real companies are making real money for an extended period of time. Those are the companies that uh, have clients that they're retaining for longer periods of time and they're building their base subscription rate. So the first thing that we did was we focused on making sure that we had a strong uh, content marketing and SEO foundation. Mm -hmm. That enabled us to really sort of get some of the uh, organic clients that we had so we weren't constantly focused on, you know, client acquisition. Quick question. Why are you going through that? Because I think this is important because um, I, I'm a get it out the mud type dude. I'm a great marketer. But however, I I, I don't typically utilize SEO and search, uh, search engine organization and stuff like that. So can you give real quick and don't lose your train of thought some, some tips for those that are just not savvy with SEO, but it's pivotal for the work they do. And then also too. What does it look like as far as from a cost perspective of getting a expert or somebody good on it? Because I get a lot of people online and I don't, I'm so, un, I don't know the space and people, mm -hmm. oh, we can do this, we can do that, we can do this. I'm like, well, what is the legit price point? Um, so can you kind of run through our audience like that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, 
Well, so in this case, we actually did our own SEO. For my cleaning company, to give you perspective, Chicago-based, we were ranking for Chicago SEO, and we were underpaying the guy, and he'll admit it to this day. We were paying him about $1,500 a month. It probably cost about $3,000 a month to have a high-quality SEO guy uh, working for six to eight months, especially in a larger city, to rank you to the first page. Now, keep in mind, the larger companies that are in like the top three in a given large city, they're probably paying their own SEO guys. Sometimes they're paying as high as $10,000 a month. Mm. And a lot of that $10,000 a month budget is being spent by that SEO company or guy on assets that enable that company to stay at the top of the heap. So they're doing things such as literally buying expired domains to have a bunch of traffic and then <clears throat> and then putting in links that benefit uh, your client's company on that domain. Those things cost money. Sometimes those domains are being purchased for like $500 or $400, $200. And so that comes out of uh, what amounts to a larger SEO budget to be able to make those things happen. Mm -hmm. If you're not spending the money to uh, acquire those types of assets and do those things, you're never going to compete with the guys that are doing it. Now, that's just a quick aside. So it costs about $3,000 a month uh, for a local service business, like a home services business, painting, plumbing, uh, cleaning, to be able to uh, to rank, to have a shot at ranking. Now, for something like Vicky Virtual, that's a national uh, keyword effort, right? So virtual receptionist is a national keyword. When someone types it up, they don't typically type in virtual receptionist. Chicago. Chicago. Yeah, it's more, right. it's, it's international because you got Singapore, you got yep. Philippines, you got O-Work, O-Desk, you got so many different, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, one thing is the, the different, there's a difference between virtual receptionist companies and virtual assistant companies. Virtual assistants wow. are more tech-based Right. So they're focused on, hey, could you do some quick market research for me? Will you do this blog post for me? Will you edit this podcast for me? Uh -huh. Right. Uh, whereas a virtual receptionist is more focused on call handling. They don't do things such as, you know, editing podcasts, but they will go as far as, say, booking an appointment. Right. Uh -huh. um, and so with that in mind, again, we're focused on national. Now, the nice thing is that Google is sophisticated enough being, they're sophisticated enough to cater the search to the location of that uh, user. So if you're competing in the U.S. for U.S.-based companies, you are going to rank pretty well in the U.S. If, if you're doing things right. You don't also have to compete with the guys in the U.K. and Australia. They're going to rank well in their respective markets. And so you sort of have the, the top players in those respective markets. But still on a national scale, again, now you're competing with a lot more companies. And so you have to do things that are that much more impactful in order to rank. So the key thing that you can do uh, over the course of the year, Google used to put out like nine or 10 big updates a year. Now they do like 1,500. They're putting out multiple uh, search algorithm updates every single day. And so you used to be able to literally do some pretty shady stuff, like put a bunch of keywords on the same page, rank for the keyword. Now it's all about engaging content that is actually interacted with by Google users. Yep. So what that means is produce as much quality content as possible. Quantity 
will only get you so far. And frankly, in a lot of times, it can actually hinder you if the content is crappy. Like if you're doing two to three hundred word blog posts. Now, if you look at the top ten ranking uh, businesses, especially in the more popular category, their average piece of content has over two thousand words. Yeah, like like stuff that you can really get from back in the day. People used to talk micro, 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 but now quality macro, even if done on a monthly or whatever basis, it out it it wins. Yeah, yeah. So again, the emphasis is not not only how good is the content in relation to how related it is to that search, that keyword. It is this piece of content, how much is it actually being interacted with? Is it being shared? Is it being linked on other blogs? When people visit it, do they stay on that particular page longer? Are they scrolling more? Are they clicking content within it, or like link within it, right? Does it have photos as well as links as well as text. Does it have video? All of those things are factors. And frankly, you know, you got Google, they got tens of thousands of people working for them. They're going to be able to make this as sophisticated as possible over time, right? They got to have stuff to do. Mm-hmm. And so they really do consider every single one of those factors. And so again, at this point, there is no way around it. You have to produce actual quality content that's engaging, that's useful useful enough for people to actually interact with it and that's how you rank mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so now and an and audience i mean hope we didn't lose y'all there but i think that's really critical because um one thing i will say though is if you're trying to scale multi-million dollar business if that's in your goal you you, you might want to be prepared for that like because i mean no use to have him putting 1500 and you 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 don't even know your user experience is trash people don't know you you can't people don't know how to pay you people don't know how to book appointments so i just want to caution right. that and that's a whole different that's a whole podcast with the stuff which we don't have time for but mm-hmm. um but we'll we'll get there and we'll and hopefully your information will be your information will be in the show notes so if they have any questions you can reach out to them i don't know if you do coaching or consulting of that nature but um, but there's, there, you can Google online SEO, stuff like that. But, uh, I think that's one thing specifically for our black businesses we need to be aware of, uh, because that is a lot of times you friends and family marketing, um, Instagram marketing, Facebook marketing, which is great, but people Google search everything. And if you can optimize yeah. that and you have a, a great user experience or a decent user experience to get people to book and you know how to close, then you can really make a lot of money. And, and, and this is structured, right? Marketing user experience, payment structure, can you close? And there right. was a, those are all different expertises. So I really want to open that up because a lot of times people come in with entrepreneurship, myself included, oh, I got energy, I got talent, I got charisma. And then you like, where the sales at? And you know, the big thing too, man, not a lot of people understand the virtual receptionist category. Uh, before we talked, did you know what a virtual receptionist company was? So I, I did. Um, I, I knew it because I mean, I've been I'm in these spaces, and I'm always thinking about efficiency. However, um, and plus two, I'm 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 always like I always get pissed off when you call companies and you get outsourced to Singapore. Like, and I'm like, yeah. bro, like, no, I'm talking to you. What, number one, like, n- no, zero, zero, zero. 
receptionist. <laughs> Let me hear a voice. Don't play with me. Y'all multi-billion dollar company. Bank of America, walk over. Y'all multi-billion. Why are you sending me to Singapore? Go daddy. Why are you sending me to Singapore? That's why I rock with Bluehost. Bluehost has American people. I talk to them. No offense. I love people all, all culture. I do, I do, I do. Don't, don't get me wrong. I know this podcast got a lot of viewers from everywhere. I love everybody from every culture. But I I, I mean, there's a, there's a disconnect when I'm trying to, you can't feel what I feel because you just yeah, reading yeah. the script. So that's why I, I feel that my biggest thing was and and I guess it segues into where we're going next as we as we go as we hasten to a close is this call center thing. So how are you now? All right, so you sell the business, right? Boom. So so yeah. I did want to say this real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Um, again, as you were saying, a lot of people, especially in the black community, they don't quite know where to start. Uh-huh. And so a little bit before I sold the company, I actually did start working on a course. Yeah. Uh, on how to start a virtual receptionist company. Mm-hmm. And so within that, it's really the A to Z. Uh, and the reason I started working on the course before I had intention of, of selling the company, right? Because we sold the company from an unsolicited offer. I, I'm not sure if I told you that. Oh, uh-uh, no. Um, yeah. I had the intention of running Vicky Virtual for 20, 30 years and passing it down to kids that aren't born yet. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, but. One of my old business partners, he came in and, uh, he, you know, we used to talk all the time about our different business projects. He's like, oh, how's Vicky Virtual doing? I'm like, well, you know, it's, it's going really good. I really like it. And, you know, I, I might consider, like, what it might sell for. He's mm-hmm. like, oh, work. And immediately he's like, listen, dude, let me send you an offer. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> fine. So I literally, this is how simple it was. I screenshotted him uh, my current monthly numbers, and I think I uh, sent them for the like the prior year, 2018, and where we were in 2019. And like two or three days later, he sent over an offer, and that offer was like 20% higher than I thought the company would have sold for. And so I was like, "Wow, right?" Um, and then I countered 10% higher than that, and uh, he said yes. So I wow. went from thinking I'm going to be running this thing for 20, 30 uh, years to uh, being able to sell the company and just being in this surreal sort of space. But again, before I did that, I started working on creating a course for this because not a lot of people know what virtual receptionist companies are. Everyone knows what an answering service is, but not what a virtual receptionist company is. And virtual receptionist companies represent a much better value proposition for small businesses. Right. And so the answer and services space is a two point nine billion dollar industry growing a six percent year over year. And the thirteen hundred companies that exist in the answer and services space average one point nine million dollars a year in revenue. So what's happening is you've got answer and services that have the bulk of the answer and services space and then virtual receptionist companies, which are much more helpful for small businesses, are a tiny chunk. It's starting to grow very slowly, but surely, right? Ruby Receptionist, my company was doing seven things. Ruby Receptionist did $70 million last year. Wow. And if you're not paying attention to virtual receptionist company, you don't know what Ruby Receptionist is. Mm-hmm. So the beautiful thing is, this is a beautiful space to get into, and I created an A to Z on how to do it. Uh, and, you know, we'll talk a little bit and, about and that, that later. And that's still available online? It's available online at callcentercast.com. And I'll put in uh, an exclusive uh, sort of discount for your listeners, man. 
Um, you know, I know it's going to be a, a little bit before this recording, but we'll put in uh, callcentercast.com slash Greg. And you go there, you can get an exclusive discount. Um, you know, we'll talk a bit more about it later. Yeah. But this is going to be a specific incentive for those that are listening to this uh, and want to create their own minority trailblazing story. It's just a great business to be in. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk about it. Not today, but we'll talk about it offline and we'll, we're going to we're going to we're going to sex that up, man, because I think there's a there's a lot in it. Like there's a lot in it. And I think the so the society and the culture is is really overtaxing individuals to be more creative than they have to be as far as right. making money. Like I get it. You want you're, you're trying to think of the next billionaire idea. It was like, well, why not get a million dollar idea that's already already baked out there and just do that? And then so yeah. then now you have the finances to undergird what you already want to do. Right. That's, the, that's the key. And I, I had to unlock that key myself. I wasn't able to take my business to the next level until I was financially stable. How do you right. get financially stable? It was in that whole industry where I wasn't even the most skilled at, but it was the industry that made money. And then I, I, I'd be able to do well in that industry. And now my speaking career and all this other stuff took off because now I'm unlocked. And it wasn't right. what, it wasn't the industry I thought. You feel me? This is an industry, a different web production. That's a whole different industry. But right. we made able to find a, a niche and now, Mike, and I got to talk to you offline because I want some, me and my business partner would, uh, yeah, we definitely got to talk offline because right now we're in a spot like we, there's more work than we can handle and mm-hmm. we can train people to do certain things and we want to be able to scale it to a certain degree um, because, right. and, and to make it, make it a, a multi-million dollar company, I think we really can. Like, so we'll talk offline about it. Um, yeah, yeah. And, 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 I, and I love what you said about, uh, you know, coming in where you're at in terms of the type of company you should be going for. A lot of people, they are potential entrepreneurs, but they're intimidated because they think that the only real way to be the entrepreneur is to have a seven-figure company. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, most people are realistic in the sense that they're like, well, if I could just make five grand a month, if I can make eight grand a month, great. So what you do is you focus on the thing that you know will make it a lot easier to get you to a certain level Mm -hmm. and use that venture as a stepping stone. And then you go towards more ambitious, ambitious ventures that are maybe a bit more complex and you take it one step at a time. We did start the cleaning company literally so, you know, I could get my dad solid. Uh, He only needed to make like three grand a month to be good, right? Um, So that's what we did. We got there in like six, seven months um, and we did that. With Vicky Virtual, I knew that it could be pretty significant, but my initial goal is to get to like $150,000 a year in profit. Mm-hmm. So once we did that, we already had an awesome company that would bring in organic. So I didn't have to think about, oh, what's my next goal? I had them, but the business at that point was already its own train moving. Mm-hmm. So that's the beautiful thing. I'm working on a giant project now that is potentially a, a billion dollar project and it's a giant deal. But it's also the type of thing that takes $60 million in investment. And it's much more difficult to go about those types of things when you haven't had the prior experience operating businesses that work you up to that point. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's slow growth. That slow grind, I'm telling you, you don't, you don't want it. I mean, and I, I really can sit here and I, I, I want to go off like in a, but I'm not going to do it. But you don't, you don't want f- fast, explosive growth right now. Like wherever you're at right now, you're listening. The majority, 99% of my listeners are not ready for the growth that you really want. I'm going to be honest. 
and I'm not saying it in a, like a bad way. And I'm, ta- I'm, I'm talking about for those dreamers that are really talking about, I want multi-million on business. I want generational wealth. Like majority of us are not there yet. Right. And we're trying to jump so high. It's like, no, you jump. All right. Like you said, this, this replace your salary first. Right. And like, mm-hmm. then backtrack it. All right. How do we, how do we, how do we, how do we backtrack to, 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 to create our salary? And then once you create your salary, then you can start getting more ambitious and more ambition will come. And honestly, to be right. real, once you start writing it down, it gets, it gets, it gets real practical. Like for real, if you say fit three grand a month, okay, three grand a month, my skill set, boom, boom. And if you don't know it, find somebody, a coach yourself. You hear a podcast, yeah. reach out to a person. If they say $500 for session, get $500, whatever you need to do, but find the answers to it. That's it. Like if you say right now, and I'm challenging you right now, if you're listening, then you say, I, I'll make 60 grand a year. I want to leave this job. You, you put right now, grab a sheet of paper and put $5,000 on it and then say, okay, and, and spend the next two weeks saying, how can I make it? How can I do it? And if you don't have the answers, yeah. you find somebody that is making it. You pay whatever it costs to get on a call with them. Do not get no coaching program. No, you go direct to the source and say, hey, I have these skill sets. I got five grand. I want to get five grand a month. What exactly do I need to do? And do it. Right. And, the, and the thing is, here's the thing. And I'm going to challenge y'all because y'all going to do that. You're going to go one coach and you're going to follow his principles and you're not going to get $5 a month. And you're going to say, bump it. No, you keep putting that investment in until you get the right answers and then get the 60 grand and then you hit the race. You can run the race. Right. Yeah, you're right, man. And you know what? This is another quote that I want to put in here. People, even myself, we overestimate what we can do in a year and we severely underestimate what we can do in 10. And so, you know, again, I think everyone says it. I think Greg's making a great uh, job of saying this. Stay away from the stuff that fly by night. You'll see a lot of guys, a lot of women that are creating these blockbuster successes. They'll do like $750,000 in a month with some e-commerce store. And then you hear about them, like they're going crazy, you're following them. And then like a year later, you don't hear from them anymore. And there's a reason for that. They didn't just level up into wealth. <laughs> that product wasn't working anymore, man. But no one's going to tell you that. So you want to focus on lasting, sustainable businesses. Don't focus on the stuff that's going to build your ego. Focus on the stuff that works. The absolute majority of entrepreneurs are people that are silently building boring businesses that work. Focus on that, and that's the key. And they also don't tell you that, like, if you make seven fifty, I know people that they spend six hundred fifty grand on marketing. Right, six hundred fifty grand. Note that audience. For some people, you you see it online. How how do you think they're getting all these YouTube ads? They're not free. You know, it's yeah. it's, it's a numbers game. But we get we get, that's a whole different story. We ain't going down that rabbit hole. All right, so let's take let's take us real quick because I want I want I want to make sure we uh we mention it. Talk talk us through um succinctly and briefly as far as cost center cost center cash kind of what you what you're working on now. This this union. I know we we talked about um this the 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 offer that we're going to have for people to listen to this um podcast but specifically what is it what will it do for people that invest and how simple and when i say simple of course you could paint like be realistic with the simpleness but um how simple can it be to get started well so the beautiful thing is that uh call center cast against the a to z when i first started my call center company and the first thing i want to say is that you can start this business without a course you will have some trial and error, but it's a simple business and anyone can do it theoretically. What the course really does is it takes away the trial and error. 
right? Mm-hmm. It's not the difference between starting and not starting a business if you if you got the gumption and you're working towards it. Mm-hmm. It takes away the trial and error. So the money that is saved and the time that it saves is it the real worthiness of the investment, right? Um, but again, it's the A to Z. It's what I wish I had when I was first starting the company. We specifically recommend the different software vendors, particularly the phone system software you should be using. Uh, we go through, you know, what to look for uh, when you're looking to hire a receptionist. We go through marketing strategies. I spent two and a half hours uh Great video on different marketing techniques and such. Uh, we even do a bonus module because most of it is focused on you know getting launched and getting going, getting established. Then we do a bonus module on scaling to a million dollars. So that's you know consideration of system, uh, putting a hierarchy in place, having your operations manager. You got enough agents to have a supervisor, uh, you know senior receptionist, that type of deal. And so we go over all those things step by step bite-sized videos, you know, usually like eight to 10 minutes per video. Mm -hmm. And I think the way I talk generally, I really don't like to put in a lot of fluff. Um, (laughs) If you go into our Facebook group, callcentercast.com, I do a weekly uh, uh, Facebook live Q&A every Wednesday. People can sit in and ask me whatever question they want, uh, and I'll answer in depth. So the big thing, man, again, it's the course that I wanted when I was looking into this. And it is not the difference between not starting and starting, but it saves you time and it'll save you money in the long run. Man. So Minority Trouble is a nation. Uh, when, by, by the time the show releases, there will be um, a lot of information on there about it um, as far as how you can sign up, what it offers, et cetera. Um, and I'm really excited. And I want you to take advantage of it. Let's be real. Let's take advantage of opportunities when they're presented because at the end of the day, um, life is going to be what you make it. Your finance is going to be what you make it. Your relationship is going to be what you make it. Your mm-hmm. relationship with your father, your son, your mother, that is what you're going to make it. Do not let society, do not let outside circumstances determine that. All right. Um, so before we go to our culture change round, which is our last round, I do got two questions I want to ask that I think is important. Um, yep. What is what is the number one piece of advice that you would give yourself, the 21 version, 21 year old version of yourself? Yeah, so I'm 35 now. Uh, when I was 21, you know, actually at 21, I thought I was doing pretty good. I was uh, the uh, assistant district manager of, you know, an office for vector marketing. And we were the number one recruiting office in the nation. Um, so we constantly had 80 to 100 sales reps in the room. And I was running trainings, you know, for that whole group. Um, and so the advice I would give myself is don't focus on things that inflate your ego. Focus on the thing that will actually build you a, like a life of sustainability, a life of, uh, you know, an actual foundation for actual wealth. Um, I think that some of the jobs I had sort of uh, delayed what would have been an earlier traditional entrepreneurial path. I wish I started a little bit earlier. And again, the reason for that was because I took jobs that I thought were sexy and I was doing things from a corporate perspective I thought were sexy, but they didn't reflect what my actual end goal was. Mm-hmm. So as a 21-year-old, you should be completely zeroed into working specifically on what is your end goal. Mm-hmm. And then when you're 21, man, a lot of times people in specific influences are like, don't fuck up, don't mess up, don't mess up. Mm-hmm. 21 is the time to make your mistakes. (laughs) 
you this before you have kids, before you have obligations, before you know you're married. Usually, mm-hmm. it is the time to make your mistake. But if you're making mistakes with the right intention and you're pursuing your end goal in the like formation of those mistakes, you're gonna end up in a much better situation by the time you know time to get married and you're trying to establish a family. You'll have that foundation, you'll have those skills, and you'll be a, lo- a much better provider for your family. Mm, I love that. Give me one second. So next question, man. Um, this is a deep question, but I, I just, it is what it is, is um, uh, when, it's, when it's all said and done, man, what do you want your lasting legacy to be? I want my legacy to be, you know, these types of things change. As yeah, you of do course. And you're going to listen to this interview like in 10 years, be like, bruh, like that's, that's not what I really wanted, right? Yeah, uh, you know, as you sort of enter different phases, I think priorities change. Um, right now, I believe my priority is to try to encourage sort of young entrepreneurs to be able to get going and have some type of first business that they're starting earlier and earlier on, uh, particularly people of color, and especially black entrepreneurs. I think that right now we're in a situation where you're seeing what happened when you're disenfranchised. Um, we've been disenfranchised by having centuries of our identity, traditions, and heritage taken away from us. Even other people of color in this country at least have their traditions, their heritage, their identity, and they have their community. African-American people are isolated people that... Not to say we don't have a community, but we're still establishing our identity. We're learning what is our new heritage, what are our new traditions. And we're forming the small things that allow us to band together and start to form our institution. And in order to form our own institutions, we need more entrepreneurs creating those foundations upon which we can stand. And once we have our own institution that Black people can rely on, we're shopping at our own grocery stores, going to our own bank going to our own school, we can no longer be disenfranchised. And where, you know, people can call us an N-word, they're not going to be able to take away what we've got for ourselves. Mm, man, I love that. I love that. I love that. All right, so let's do it like this. <clears throat> we're going to, we're, about, we're entering our, our, our rapid fire round. I got five rapid fire uh, questions and hopefully we can get rapid fire answers. You ready, bro? I'm ready. <clears throat> What is the best piece of advice that you have never received? Best piece of advice that I've never received? Yep. Um, uh, don't listen to what your parents tell you to do <laughs> <laughs> if you know you're doing the right thing. Ah, oh, man, I love that. I love that. If you can add one habit and take away one habit, what would they be? Say that again. If you can add one habit and take away one habit, what would they be? Uh, So one habit that I still have a little bit is consumerism, right? Uh, Now I can sort of justify it, but still consumerism. Um, So I would take away that as a habit. Um, If I were to add a habit, it would be more of a focus on uh, sustainable living. you know, doing things that are better for the body, mind. So I think black people are like, oh, I don't, I don't mess with nature. I don't do that type of stuff. But the human body has been exposed to the elements for 
maybe millions of years. And it's only been the last few hundred years that we're in the combined, combined man-made spaces. And so I think our bodies, like literally on a molecular level, need it. And so we need to provide it. Okay. Say less, say less, say less. And in question, as far as consumerism, like what what is your what are your guilty guilty buys? Like you like, dang, I just love I'm if I see this, I gotta cop it. Uh well for a while clothes, I mean the shirt uh, you know, two hundred and fifty dollars shirt, man. Uh, <laughs> uh you know, like just simple things, man. Cars, uh, you know, this apartment. My wife who doesn't really care about anything at all. It's like, as long as we're in a cardboard box, you know, we're in love, I'm happy. <laughs> um, you know, we live in this expensive building because of me, uh, those types of things. And, you know, I think a lot of us, we sort of feel like we need these things. And what happens is once you spend too much time with something that's luxurious that you felt like you need or want it, then it becomes something that you need. So it's very mm. difficult to leave that luxurious space and have those luxurious things, like having, say, an in-house chef. Once you have someone cooking your meal for long enough, <laughs> it's very difficult to go back to, you know, never having someone cooking your meal. So you want to make sure that you curb those types of things. Got you. You got an in-house chef, man? No. Okay, okay. <laughs> but I, I was close. I was close. I was close. I started to do it, and I was like, okay, let's. Uh, something kicked in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's, let's get the billion dollar deal first. Let's let's let, let's 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 do that. Oh, uh, yeah. nah, that's that's huge. And side note, hopefully your wife gonna listen to this podcast, bro. We we an hour and ten minutes in. It's the first time I mentioned it, bro. I was gonna ask you. I'm like, dang, bro, like we went an hour twenty. So wife, I didn't. Hey, that's on your that's on your husband. That's on that's on him. Yeah, <laughs> that's on that, that, <laughs> I usually talk about it too because yeah. she's such a great support system, man. And you know, I think that's actually a huge catalyst as to why. Uh, my trajectory actually in the last eight years have been moved. Wanted to impress her, man. Now that's cool. So you eight years in the game, marriage? Yeah, uh, we've been married for four years, been together since 2012. I mm. actually met her about three weeks, maybe a month after I went full-time entrepreneurship. So man, that's huge. And uh side note, is she like an entrepreneur too? Or like what's her She's in healthcare, so she's been dealing with like COVID-19 patients almost every day, man. And, uh, you know, very intense. Um, so, yeah, she's not an entrepreneurial person at all, but she still listens to me when I'm ranting. I'll go on long, 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 you know, monologues. You know how it is. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's always been extremely supportive and just, you know, really, she didn't understand certain things. And she got to that understanding by being such a great listener and emphasizing with, with my, my qualms, you know, over the years. Mm. What is your biggest fear? My biggest fear uh, would probably be spending all of this time and, you know, at the end of the day, feeling like I didn't do anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I'll, you don't even have to be specific about what that means. You just if you don't feel like you lived a life of fulfillment, then that's probably the biggest regret you can have. Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is your favorite book or movie and why? Um, so my favorite book or movie, uh, I think my favorite book is Sapiens. I've been recommending it, man. It's a it's a it's by uh, Noah uh Yuvari or 
and I can't remember his name right now, but it's Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. It's essentially an anthropology book, mm-hmm. and it's a, a deep exploration into uh, the formation of our society, um, and it's very unbiased. It, it's, I'm telling you, Greg, you need to read that book. Every single listener, listener needs to read this book. It's a game changer. I've only had a few books that were like real inflection points in terms of my overall thinking that really just shifted it. Um, and, and Sapiens was the biggest one. And it's the only non-business book that I tend to recommend. It's an amazing book. Okay, so audience, that'll be in the show notes. That'll be in the show notes. Um, last question, the culture change round before we uh, wrap it up with my, my ultimate question is, if you were the president of the United States, what's the first thing you would do? Uh, out anyone that Trump had on staff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the funny thing is that, uh, and I was talking to one of my political buddies about this. Are you close to D.C., Greg? Yeah, I mean, my girl's in D.C., so I'm in D.C. all the time. Okay, cool. Um, so, you know, typically an administration has like 150 real core people on the presidential administration staff. Trump actually has like 20 or 30. Wow. And the reason for that is that not a lot of people actually want to work for him. It considered DC is an extremely uh, democratic town. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, apparently, uh, staffers for Trump can't get tender dates or do anything. They're like, <laughs> <laughs> They're like real outcasts in the community. So the point is that um, they have all these consultants and things are a lot more crazier than most people realize, even if they think Trump's doing a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the first thing I would do is eradicate those people, mm-hmm. except maybe uh, Fosse, um, and then you know bring in people that enable all people to benefit so that, again, uh, blacks and people of color aren't so disenfranchised. Mm, loved it love it love it love it all right man so we wrapped up that round and uh man this has been this interviews gave me so much life man and um we're gonna close out with this question right if you could change one thing about society most specifically our african-american culture what would it be and why uh well <clears throat> the reality is that and i actually got this uh philosophy from sapien the reality is that there isn't really anything scientifically able to back up anything in terms of people thinking they're better or worse than other people, right? Uh, I consider myself to be cosmetically attractive. Yeah, (laughs) cosmetically uh, attractive. (laughs) Without the cosmetic. But, you know, that's a myth. That's only based off of what we have come to a consensus about as to what is more attractive, what is more desirable. Um, And so if you can really break it down to those simple realizations, it comes down to we need to have a consensus that no person should be allowed to have more than another person. Mm -hmm. Um, Even really with merit there's so many people that are like yo if you're lazy you deserve to be impoverished or or have nothing uh and the reality is that like if you're alive and you're not trying to hurt other people then you should have the necessities in life Mm -hmm. and so if i were to change something about society it would be the collective mindset that enables us to impoverish and enslave people mm-hmm. while other people live a life of extreme excess. Mm-hmm. 
Mm, man. Now, uh, now for black people, uh, black people, you know, I, I don't want to say anything. Black people really should be doing much differently, man. Yeah. What's happening is we are the, especially African Americans, are the product of hundreds of years of people trying to fuck with us. Mm-hmm. And somehow we've sort of come through it. And uh, it's really been the last few decades, man, that we've been able to start to gain some footing, just have some type of solid ground to start to stand on. And the most important aspect, as I said before, not only is being disenfranchised, but having the foundation, the institutions, and starting to create those things so that we can become disenfranchised. Think about like the Jewish population. They were almost wiped out. Uh, less than 100 years ago, right? To this day, there's only 15 million Jewish people on the entire planet. There's over a billion black people on the planet. But Jewish people are doing very well on average. The reason for that, again, is that they have a strong sense of community, and then they've been able to say, okay, we are going to start from the very beginning building our own institutions and having our own things that we can stand on so that other people can't mess with us. And so black people collectively, we need to realize that and do that. But that's the only advice I will give. Mm. So as we close, man, I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for giving well over an hour of your time uh, just to chop, chop it up, man. We dug deep. We dug around. And I think we added a lot of value. And like I said, I've, nothing but classic interviews, season seven. And we add another classic interview. So um, <clears throat> as we close, where can my audience find more information about you, your services, your products and just uh, get and keep in touch with you? How can they do that? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I can be reached directly at hello at donaldspan.com. That's Donald, S-P as in Peter, A-Apple, Nancy, Nancy.com. Um, and then you can go to callcentercast.com uh, slash Greg. I'm offering a free four-day mini course for those that just want to get a crash course on how to start a virtual receptionist company. And then if you want to push through to, you know, really go after that big course, the A to Z to starting this thing, uh, my best business out of 11 businesses I've done, um, then you'll get a, a unique discount for uh, for Trailblazers. <laughs> mm, yep, yep, yep. So Minority Trailblazer Nation, um, by the time this episode airs, all that information will be in the show notes, man. All I know is this is going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal, fi- phenomenal show, man. So uh, Minority Trailblazer Nation, you already know I need you to do two things and two things only. One, make sure you leave a review uh, share the episode with your friends that you think it add value to. Oh, two. By the time, by this time, we'll be on YouTube. So make sure you like, uh, like the video, uh, comment under the post. If you say something negative on the post, I'm just gonna block it. So don't even, don't waste your time. Uh-huh. Uh, and also three, I need you to do this right. So make sure you changing the freaking culture. Good night or good morning. Peace. <laughs>